Your next 10 million is a community dedicated to folks who have achieved wealth and are looking to achieve greatness. Our interviews and discussions focus on growing your family's wealth and cash flow with investors across asset classes, but with a particular focus on housing and real estate. But there's more to growing your wealth than just capital allocation. So we try to bring you a variety of conversations and experts. Please subscribe to get notified as soon as a new episode is released. Hey guys, we have an amazing episode. It's Cody and I doing a year-end cap for everything that we've been really thinking about. We go really deep on some subjects like gratitude and mimetic theory. It's our hope after you listen to this amazing podcast that you start asking yourself some really powerful questions heading into the New Year's and hopefully for the rest of your life. We know you're going to get a ton out of this podcast. Welcome, everyone, to today's episode. Uh, you have myself, Cody Littlewood, with you and our new resident host, uh, the Philippine billionaire, Pasha <laughs> Esfandieri. <laughs> How are yeah, the Philippines? This is exciting. It's beautiful. Um, my wife and I are going to be in Southeast Asia for a month. And our first uh, leg of the trip is the Philippine Islands. We're in Boracay Island right now. And it's incredible. Just gorgeous. The sun just came out after four days and pretty stoked to disconnect. Um, I find that when I disconnect, I'm able to absorb so much more information, read a lot more, totally. get into the topics that I like. So it's it's been a beautiful trip. Thanks for asking. Awesome. man. Yeah. Um, there's nothing like kind of just being able to being able to slow everything down and not the yeah. barrage of information that we just deal with on a daily basis. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because every time I, I plan travel like this, it's hard for me to want to go because the anxiety comes from, oh, I have so much to do. I want to work. Uh, I enjoy my routine. But after about two days, I'm always so instantaneously happy because now I'm able to think very high level. And I'm sure with a lot of high performers as well. It's they, they highly recommend to go one week. And I think yeah, this is something that I, I, I want to start implementing into my life is just taking one week somewhere where cell phone service is uh, abysmal and or <laughs> the scheduling of everybody else is off. So I have to really disconnect yeah. from everybody. Have you read Deep Work? I have not. By Ooh. Cal Newport? Mm-hmm. Oh my God, dude. You should... Uh, do you have like a Kindle? Can you get books there? Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So, they don't I mean, have, I know you can get books in yeah, They have no books in, no, no, you know what I mean? Like American books in English. Um, uh, and some people don't like to read on Kindle or whatever. I, I'm one of those people. I like to write in the margins, et cetera. So, yeah. um, so deep work is exactly, uh, you know, well, partially it's about like inter- uninterrupted work, but he has a specific section dedicated to uh, like think weeks, like, um, uh, Carl Jung, Bill Gates. Uh, I mean, he, he rattles off all these examples and I'm, and I can't, they, none mm. of them spring to mind besides those two right now, but where like great thinkers and business minds do this. Um, this is like a thing where they, they go away and they spend like a week in the woods and no internet, just reading material, writing material and a chance to like, like really dig in deep. So the entire book is about how uh, how much more productive, creative, um, and uh, you know, and, and and intelligent we are when we don't have the barrage of notifications and Slack and WhatsApp and text messages, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, and how to get and how to get much more fulfilling, deep work. How to kind of get into flow, so to speak. Um, so, anyways, we don't need to dive into that now. That's kind of a tangent in and of itself. But you should read Deep Work because it's it has a specific section about this where you you go away, you disconnect, and you spend that time just thinking and reading and writing and like how magical that can be. Yeah, yeah. We won't jump into that, uh, but I, I remember I used to do this a lot. Being an introvert naturally, I used to always go on a staycation by myself. And I'll be there for two, three days just journaling and reading. Um, and I need to just start implementing that again as well. And I'll hold you accountable to doing that too. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Sounds good, man. Um, so what are so what are we talking about today, Pasha? <laughs> well, I mean, it is the holiday season. I think you brought up a really good point last time we chatted about gratitude and what's happening in your life during gratitude. And I think we should 
broach that topic and just kind of talk about how powerful it is, how to implement it into our lives and to really what it'll unlock for us. Yeah. Yeah. So today's episode, um, we're kind of digging into some of the bigger themes, things we've been thinking about um, over the past year, probably even maybe a little, little more particularly over the past you know, quarter or so. Um, gratitude is one of the ones that we came up with. Uh, so for me, uh, this is, you know, thank you. A big shout out to Pasha um, and my wife and Trevor, um, who all have kind of instilled this. And I have to say my wife, because if not later, she'll be like, oh, one of your, one of your girl Bunnis buddies told you something. And I've been telling you this for five years. That's um, what my wife would has. say as well. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. We should, we should probably do a better job of listening to yeah. our better halves. Um, but anyways, but Pasha made it, uh, you know, one time I was, I was like, how are you always so happy and like joyful and just grateful all the time? And I'm, I'm not going to overshare your story, but you told me, you know, you went through a period where uh, life wasn't so awesome. And so now you were just so grateful every single day. And anyways, it's, it, it's really, I've been having a big focus on gratitude um, lately. And I've realized that when, you know, when you're in, like when you have that, when you have that emotion, None of none of the other emotions about like anxiety towards the future or anxiety about the past. When you're grateful, it's a very present emotion, right? Yeah. And it's hard for anything else to slip in. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. I've I've been I've been really digging into that recently, and I know you have like a specific gratitude practice um, that's really uncomfortable for me, but uh, <laughs> but I'm sure all your friends love it. Um, and you, I think you're one of the, probably the most grateful human beings I know. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, you know, before we get to like my practices or my story about gratitude, what, how have you, what like unlocked it for you? Were, were you just like, oh shit, I'm not grateful enough or your wife is beating you yeah. up? And you're like, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. So, I mean, I, I think I went through a little bit of a period of a decent amount of like anxiety, not like crippling anxiety, but like an, an enough of it. Um, and we do every summer we get away and we go to Europe. Um, and uh, this, uh, this past, uh, this past year, we, we stayed in Sacré-Cœur and uh, you know, and uh, well, sorry, just below Sacré-Cœur in Montmartre in uh, Paris. Um, and so we'd, we'd go to the church in the morning um, and I want to say, you know, I want to say my wife maybe suggested to do this or or something inspired me to do this. But and what I normally would find I would do in like prayer meditation is sometimes I'd be like heavily focused on like what I wanted, mm -hmm. right? Like goals or, you know, dreams or whatever else and focus on casting God or a higher being for help achieving those um, or for help getting what I wanted. And for whatever reason, I, I remember going there. Um, you know, the summer and, uh, we would go there early for the, like the bright and early morning mass. And it was just beautiful. And it's so much bigger than you. And I, I don't even know how to totally describe it. Um, and I wouldn't say I'm like a diehard Catholic by any means or anything like that either. Uh, but it's just a, it's just an incredibly spiritual place. And, but I would spend that time just focused on prayer uh, around like gratitude. And I realized like how much better every single one of my days was mm. that I did that. Um, it just was an incredible way to start out the day. Um, and I realized like my anxiety just melted away and I was taking more time to appreciate, uh, you know, everything that I have. I felt that I felt an immense, I felt, I felt much more peaceful in my life. Mm. Um, and so I, I would say that was something that cracked it for me. Uh, you know, hearing you talking to you in Palm Springs, um, you know, it's, it's hard, you know, I think, I think sometimes it'll be a light bulb moment like that, but it's really not a light bulb moment like that. It's like all of these other things that crystallize and, you know, just you're baking a cake, right. And you mixed all the batter and you put it in the oven and then it's like, it's jiggly, you know, brownies <laughs> or whatever. And they're like, they're jiggly for a really long time. And then all of a sudden they turn hard, yeah, right? Please like, don't so, ever cook for me. Anyways. <laughs> Don't ever cook for you. No, I'm yeah. saying eventually the brownies turn hard. So, um, uh, so I, you know, to be honest, it's probably not one moment, but I remember that was like one moment that really like that it sunk in for me. Um, 
how incredible this has been. And, and I've been really, I've been implementing that into my practices every day. Um, and I just, I noticed such a huge difference in my life. Yeah. That's incredible. I mean, there's so much to touch on here. Like, first of all, I want to mention, even though this is our next topic about everything now is mimetic theory for me. So thank you for screwing me up. It's like, <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. It's like now you're like, oh, you hear it from, you see it from everybody else. So am I just going to follow along what everyone else is doing? Or is this my actual stuff? I will get to that later. Yeah, yeah. What I, what I am really curious about Cody is like, you know, uh, when I think of you, I just feel like you, you, you always have a plan. You're very, you know, strategic, you're very calculated, incredibly intelligent. And just so I'm surprised to hear that you have anxiety because I obviously have anxiety as well too, but I'd love to know what your anxiety is and how does it affect your life? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, I would say, I would say I have, you know, it's, it's, um, it's probably not something that's like clinical or anything like that. It's more, it's more like I'm always trying. I would say I'm always looking for what's next. Right. Um, so, and if I achieve a goal, like that moment is like, that moment is a split second. And I'm like, what's next? What's next? What's next? What's next? And I always, everything I, everything I'm doing, I feel like it has a time clock on it. Right. Like I am not getting anywhere fast enough at all. Like any, like no matter how fast Mm -hmm. I'm moving, um, if you were to ask me if I, you know, if I'm satisfied with my velocity, I would probably tell you no. Um, so, uh, so that is a constant (laughs) state of like, I'm only laughing because I a hundred percent, I would, I would say that most people who listen to this podcast can a hundred percent relate with you. Sure. And, and it's, and it pays off, right? Like I, I believe, I believe like urgency among on like urgency is like a key trait. You could probably look at every entrepreneur and you'd be like, okay, like they have a sense of urgency. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but it can also be, it can, it's not like a, it's not like a super healthy way to live. um, There's a pro and con to everything. Yeah. And I, I would say like, you know, as investors, um, and you probably saw this, uh, you know, in your former life as a poker player as well, right? We're, we're also really highly rewarded for protecting against the downside, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's hard for me and I, I've always been highly rewarded for doing so. And so I would say it's, it's really hard for me to not run a million scenarios through my head and think about what could be the possible downsides. Mm-hmm. But that is also like a really unhealthy kind of emotional state to be in, right. Where you're always like watching your six um, and you're always calculating, like what are all the ways that this could go wrong? Um, You know, and Trevor talks about this a lot as well, which, you know, props to him, but um, you know, you don't want to spend time focusing, like you want to, you want to plan, you know, you want to plan and protect against your downside and think about those scenarios, but then you don't want to really, you, you sh- probably shouldn't be spending a bunch of time thinking about them on an ongoing basis over and over and over again, repeating them in your head. You should focus on your expectation, which is you expect things to go right, but you plan for the worst. So you, you plan for it, protect against it, but then kind of push it out of your head. Because I do think that if you spend too much time focused on the negatives, things, um, wh- whatever you focus on kind of tends to happen. It seems like. Yeah. Um, 100%. So you know, I, I, I would say that's also an anxiety is like, I'm always like, you know, running through my head, like what are all the possible downsides? What are all the possible things that can go wrong? Uh, and that's a, you know, um, and only recently have learned to, okay, what all the things that can go wrong, write them all down, plan for them, protect against them, and then, and then let them go kind of thing. No, that's so, a great way yeah. to actually, that's actually a really wonderful way to do it. Cause then you know that you've already run out of plan. So if that thought comes up into your mind, you say, Hey, like brain chill. I, I got a plan. A plan. I, yeah. I already have a plan. Stop. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually my, uh, my great grandpa said that worry, uh, uh, worry and anxiety, I guess it's the same thing. Right. But worry, worry is uh paying interest on a debt you don't owe. Right. So <laughs> yeah. it's a, uh, uh, and I always love that. And uh, I try to keep that in mind. Yeah. That's such a hard lesson to learn. I mean, like, I think we all understand it conceptually, but to really practice it is, is incredibly difficult. And, yeah. you know, a little bit about like my anxiety is that I didn't realize I used to have anxiety until I got older 
because I used to just bottle everything down. And I'll, I'll also tie this into why I'm so grateful as well, because we kind of talk, talked about it a little bit earlier, is that my anxiety used to be very crippling um, when it came to social. I used to have really bad social anxiety, probably stemmed from my childhood growing up in a Persian family. And what you learn in a Persian family... It was family all the rugs? Group, it was all, it was <laughs> absolutely all the rugs. Um, was that you always have to be on your best behavior and people see every minute detail. And like, mm. and so growing up, I heard when, when somebody would leave or I would in the social situations with Persians, they would always like almost nitpick mm. every single thing about a person. Oh, did you see how they did that? Or do you see how they said that? And that's so you're always trying to always, that's actually a thing I in, in Persian culture. And huh. so, um, you know, luckily my father was never much, not much like that at all. But other Persians I was around did this. I, this is probably why, and I hate to stereotype, I really do hate to generalize, why I'm not really close with a lot of Persians because I don't enjoy that aspect of it. So anyways, this crippled me socially because I never felt like I was doing anything right. So I always just kind of retreated from that. Um, and I still, to this day, have to talk myself out of it and just say, yeah. whoever's going to judge you, they don't need to be in your life anyways. Hmm. Um, but I used to be on medication for this when I was younger. Yeah. Not fun, but yeah, you, um, uh, it's interesting. Uh, I don't want to get too deep into this, but, uh, uh, so Dr. Kelly, uh, who's also somebody that you and I both know, um, has a book called lovable. Uh, and I think, uh, I think you'd get a pretty good kick out of that as well. Um, because yeah. a lot, all of us have that to like different degrees though. Um, yeah. yeah. Anyways, can you uh, stop giving me book recommendations? But I'm sorry, man, so I'm sorry, long. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but let's let's uh, briefly talk about like my gratitude as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, you're you know, the you're the one that like uh, you're the uh, one of the big um, uh, instigators of all of this. So <laughs> I, I mean, like, look. So you know, I don't think I don't love sharing this side of me, um, but I'm very open to talking about it. Most of my life still to this day was living in a very depressed and very dark at certain times life. So the majority of my life, I've still for I've been depressed. And there was about a good year that I was incredibly, not incredibly, but I was very suicidal. And there was one time where I thought I was going to do it. And I remember in that moment, just saying I was young, I was, I was think I was like, 12 years old or 11 years old, I just said, I hate this life. This is like, I just don't want to be here. And this is horrendous. Um, I don't do it. I'm really happy I didn't do it. I don't have the the balls to do it. But I have those thoughts. I mean, quite frequently. Um, yeah. I just kind of knew I'd never go through it. But this is the reason why I'm so grateful is because I have endured so much depression and so much uh, perceived hardship. And I say perceived hardship only because we can trick ourselves into thinking life is worse than it, <laughs> it really is because sure. we only know our, our own ego. And now this is why I wake up every day and I'm generally happy. Like my wife always jokes with me. I always say this one uh, thing uh, or this one quote saying, this is the best day of my life. And even though I know it's, probably not if you equate it to the best day of my life, right? If looking for some accolades on certain events and life events, but every day I'm so happy. And when I tell myself this is the best day of my life, I end up believing it and I end up having the best day of my life. So I, sure. for the most part, able to go to sleep just saying, hey, I just had the most amazing time ever. Um, so there's a lot in there to unpack, but I also want to touch on a Thing that you talked about earlier about coming from gratitude when you do come from gratitude you realize that all the hardships in your life are the best times in your life well at least for me let me talk in my own personal context here is that everything that was what i thought was the worst times of my life i am now the most grateful for because now you know i'm healthy i'm married very happily and we have some success in business and so life is just amazing um yeah, And this is why I'm so grateful. And then I also realized the friendships I have in my life, my friendship with you, my friendship with a lot of people in Cobundance, my like inner circle, my family, 
I didn't have that. I closed everybody off for the most of my life. So yes, I'm a little bit, I would say more mushy than, than other friends, but that's because I lived so many of you, my years, not having any love in my life. So it means a lot to me to know sure. that somebody actually cares for me because I tricked myself to knowing when I was younger that no one loved me, right? Which is wrong. Like I yeah. know that's wrong now. But so these are the things that I remember because now it's still, it's not um, innate for me that people actually like me. It's still surprising sure. to me when people are like, oh, I want to hang out with you. It's like, that's crazy, man. Everyone yeah. loves you. <laughs> See, that's weird to me. It's crazy. But that's yeah, that's, um, uh, and do you feel like, do you feel like gratitude had a big impact or was it a big part of what you implemented to dig yourself out of that hole? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, absolutely. I mean, there was, so affirmations became my number one tool to get me out of depression. Because mm -hmm. once I learned that we can train our subconscious mind by repetition over and over again, and that we're just a set of patterns that we've reinforced since childhood, then I knew that, okay, it's what I have to enter into my, my brain and what I say. So when you, like we were talking about earlier, when you are always constantly worried on what's going to go wrong, that's what's probably going to go wrong. But sure. if you focus on the good and you have a plan, you're going to do that. So I just consistently... A for my anxiety told myself thousands of times, sometimes in one day, that no one's thinking about me and I'm more harsh than myself and everybody loves me and I love everybody. And then same with my depression, you know, it was, what am I grateful for? Why do I enjoy being alive? What do I love about the day? And that just trained me now. I, I'm just such, I'm such a, a set of patterns now that's just consistently trained myself. So gratitude was a big part of it. And self-affirmations really kind of changed the wow. game for me. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I really think that, uh, you know, uh, who knows who, but I'm sure that will be an incredible message for somebody to hear. Yeah, I hope so. And then the last thing I do is I just journal every single day. Uh, the journal was my outlet for myself to be sane. And yeah. so every morning I write at least five things I'm grateful for to start off today. Me too. Uh, I started doing three. Uh, I don't do five. Uh, I like five. Slacker. It's a yeah. I know. I know. I mean, this is a, now it's a competition. Yeah. No, yeah, no. Okay, fine. I guess I'll have to. I guess I'll have to jump it up. I I use the Panda yeah. Planner. I mean, it only has, it only has three spots. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, no. And I, I found it. I found the. I mean, it, it. The more I do that, and anytime I feel like that, you know, some sort of anxiety start to creep in. Or I'm bummed that something didn't work quite right. If I, as soon as I like look at what's really going on in my life and I think about yeah. all the things I'm grateful for, it's hard. Like it's hard to run through the list of all the things I'm grateful for and then look at my life and be like, anything sucks, right? Like, it, like whatever it is that's going wrong is like such a small speck. It, yeah. it puts things in massive perspective. Um, and it also like really, it, it helps me and it kind of leads into the, our, our next topic. Um, but it helps me also, you know, I also find that I have a lot less desires um, or wants when I'm focusing on gratitude um, because I, I'm, I'm, a lot, I'm a lot more at peace with what I have. Wow, that's, a, that's beautifully put. Yeah, I think you just naturally will become more content when you sure. are just grateful. Right. Yeah. And I think what I mean, maybe I don't want to put words in your mouth. What you're saying is, you know, the desires of forming artificial things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so gratitude has been one of our big things this year. Uh, what uh, what's next? Well, I'm going to just say, go ahead and say, like, fuck you for this, by the way. <laughs> um, so Cody got me on to mimetic theory. And I'm on vacation. All I can think about is mimetic theory. Everything I see now is mimetic theory. So I'll let Cody explain it, but then let's just dive into this because I think it's such a brilliant, fascinating topic. It coincides perfectly with gratitude and everything we're talking about. Yeah. So um, I want to preface this with saying that I I got crazy obsessed with it and I'm still like crazy obsessed with it and I'm like uh, uh, going kind of nuts with it right now. And I think that it's natural. I think that it's natural to go nuts with it when you realize how, you know, when, when you realize like, holy shit, I'm a victim to this, right? 
like like not a victim, but like a you know I fall prey to this, um, you know, and I think I, I think it's totally fine. Every single human being, you know, I think what Gerard shows uh, is that every single being does fall into this. But the more you start to understand it, uh, the more you can the more you can kind of fight against it, and you can accept that you know some things are going to have a little bit of both, and that's okay. But um, but it really helps my decision making, and that you can use it in every which way, including in business, in your own business, uh, you know, or whatever else. But so essentially, mimetic theory is the theory that human desire is not necessarily most human desire. Not not to categorically say that it's all one way, but most human desire is not based on the physical attributes of an object, but it's based on the metaphysical attributes of a uh, you know of something and what does that mean right so so uh there are two types of desires there are physical desires and metaphysical desires a physical desire would be um i like the example i like the example of sex right um i think it's like something everyone can kind of relate to one way or another but you have a physical desire for sex and that is to you know that is pleasure to uh you know procreate uh to feel closeness etc right um, and that is, those are all physical desires, totally valid reasons. Um, but you have a metaphysical desire to be with a particular type. Like say you have a, a metaphysical physical desire to be with a particular type of a woman because not because of the physical attributes of more pleasure or more closeness or more whatever, but because of what being with that type of woman says about you. Um, a car is another good example, right? A Honda Civic has many physical desires that are, you know, that, that, that are, that are very adequate reasons for wanting a car, right? Um, it gets you from point A to point B. You don't have to take the bus. Uh, it's convenient. You don't have to haul groceries around, right? Um, but going from a Honda Civic to a Mercedes, right? Really, that's mostly metaphysical desire, right? That's mostly what is this car? What does the car I'm driving say about me, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you'll you'll start to really see this, right? The more you dig into this, the more you look at and you analyze where are my true desires coming from? Do I want this because of the marginal utility that it provides to me, um, increase in utility that it provides to me, or do I want this because of what it says about me? Um, and so, you know, one of one of the one of my big desires right now, uh, and I and I genuinely have to ask myself this, and I am thinking about it, right? Uh, is, um, you know, is 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 a is a bigger boat that has an interior, uh, you know? <laughs> but <laughs> hear me out, hear me out. <laughs> is it because of what it says about me, and that I have a bigger boat and a, and a yacht, and I have kind of what all boat owners have, which is called two foot itis, right? Or is it because it'll enable me to take my kid, my, my young kid out onto the water in the summertime with air conditioning inside and, you know, much more, you know, uh, something that my wife will enjoy more than my current, you know, kind of center console fishing boat. Um, and like, is that a physical desire? Is that a metaphysical desire because of what having a bigger boat would set us, would say about me, right? So, uh, there, is, there, I mean, there are, are, are really countless examples of this, but it infiltrates all of our lives, right? Um, it even infiltrates, uh, you know, investing bubbles, right? Where, where you will be surprised. And actually, I'm, I'm, I'm literally late yesterday. I sent you this text, right, uh, of the picture of the of the book of Steve Schwartzman uh, of Blackstone talking about uh, talking about well most. His quote is, well, most investors, he's talking about cycles. And he says, well, most investors say they're interested in making money. They're actually interested in the psychological comfort. They would rather be part of the herd, even when the herd is losing money, than to make hard decisions that yield the greatest rewards. Doing what everyone else is doing seems like a way to avoid blame. Investors tend not to invest aggressively near market bottoms, but instead do at market tops, what actually makes little sense. They like the comfort and reassurance of watching assets go up, the higher prices go, the more investors convince themselves they will continue appreciating. Um, and this happens, I, I see this happen all the time where people are making money hand over fist in a certain area, but then they see or they hear about something, let's say an asset class, right? Like let's say short-term rentals, right? And all of a sudden, right? Like, and we're, we're part of some of these investor groups and you can yeah. see this happen within these groups, right? Where, 
where everyone's attention turns to like a particular asset class that's doing really, really well, even though somebody's doing just fine over here. Um, so, I mean, uh, this, this, this theory, it goes so deep into every one of our desires. It drives, it, it causes world wars. Um, it causes the envy that we feel on social media. It drives social media usage and Facebook and Instagram. It drives consumer debt, right? Uh, it drives the envy and the anger for people who are doing better than us, right? That are, uh, you know, they're, this is maybe getting a little bit too deep into it, uh, you know, into no, the scope. But, um, but there are different types of, it's hard for me to get mad at Elon Musk, harder for me to get mad at Elon Musk because he is so far ahead of me that, that I don't feel competition from him, right? I don't feel like, like uh, uh, you know, like the things, you know, I don't feel, I don't feel the need to compete with his jet, right? Because I don't have a jet. So, but, but for example, I feel the need with a, with somebody who is very much on my level, right. To have these types of competitions, um, somebody like Pasha, for example. Right. Um, and you can see this, like, uh, I, I think, I think a perfect example is the group is, is a, is an investor mastermind group that me and Pasha are part of where you can see this and every, like people, you know, the crowd, the hive mind moves in a certain way around different topics, right? Um, because they all kind of see each other, they're, they're near enough to each other and, and within a certain range of, you know, spitting distance of net worth, etc. that they, that it, that it feels competitive. And so this is where kind of like one-upping the Joneses comes from, right? Yep. Um, this is why actually, and, and this is why we are the average of the five closest people around us. So, there are some good things that come from us, right? And there's some like natural um, evolutionary reasons why we are like this. Um, it's not all bad, but it is important to identify because you'd be surprised when you really break down what your true desires are, how few of your desires are actually your own, but are modeled on uh, you know, what, what Gerard references, I think he calls it like the, the model of desire, right? So you actually, you, ba- you don't base your, your desire based on the actual object. You base, you, you base it on the modeling of somebody else's desire for that object. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and you see it in pop culture. Um, I think it's driving massive amounts of, you know, and, and because we are mimetic creatures and because we have this natural instinct, we do so many things for metaphysical reasons, right? I'm not saying there are not things that we do for physical reasons, but we do so many things. Even if we, we, if we, for example, if I want to be a contrarian, right? I'm like, I'm a contrarian, right? That is still a metaphysical desire because of I'm not being a contrarian because I'm getting better results necessarily. I'm being a contrarian because I'm known as a contrarian and I want that to be, that's what's said about me that I'm a contrarian investor. And I know it, you know, there's a couple of famous, you know, folks that are out there that, that, that take pride in this type of branding. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's really important uh, as investors, as happy, healthy humans, as we raise children. um, I think, you know, young boys uh, certainly, but I, I, I gotta say, I think especially young girls, um, you know, in the environment that they we're raising them with this 24 hour access to these triggers of metaphysical desires, right. Of, of that metaphysical anxiety, um, you know, which is social media, um, you know, how are we raising them? So anyways, and this all goes back to, you know, uh, the stuff we talked about with gratitude as well. Right. I think that gratitude can be a, something that breaks down those walls, but I've been going nuts with this and I see it all over, um, And I really like, I really like, I really question myself. And this is, you know, this is also why, for example, when you get a, I don't know if this happens, this may not happen to everyone. It happens to me. So I, I particularly noticed this, um, uh, the hedonic treadmill is closely related to metaphysical desires. When you get something really nice that you only want because of the kind of more empty reasons. Uh, for wanting something is uh, about what it says about you. So let's say I got a uh, I got a G wagon, right? Um, yeah. And uh, I I own a G wagon. So and and I you know I got that and it you know I I I probably had a week of pleasure, and then I was throwing Starbucks wrap you know cu- you know cups in the back and like 
you know, it was just a car to get me from point A to point B because metaphysical desires are not, uh, you know, they, they don't last. They are short lived and they are not, uh, they do not provide us with contentment. They do not provide us with inner fulfillment at all. Um, and physical desires, things that satisfy physical desires, uh, like, you know, and, and, and I think, um, there's an amazing lecture out there from Jonathan B. Um, he just released a bunch of other ones as well. Yeah. But lecture one is 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 an excellent foundation. Um, and he uses you know something like sex, right? It's very people don't stop really wanting sex, right? Not like like they they don't, right? People continue to want to have sex no matter how many times they have sex because it is a physical desire, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but they may not. They may lose the physical desire to have sex with a particular person because. They were only with that person because of a metaphysical reason about what they said about them in the first place, right? Right. Um, and so many people get into relationships like that. Anyways, I've, I've, I've just like dumped on you, but I'm so excited about this topic and I'm yeah. glad that I've driven you nuts for the past 24 hours and you've had <laughs> to get dig into it. Um, and I think I'm only, I think I'm nuts about it, not because I'm like really good at avoiding it, but because I was actually really bad at avoiding it. And now... And now I'm so aware of it and like how much we all succumb to it and myself included and particularly even. Um, and now I'm working to, uh, to kind of undo that in my head and really think about every time when I get something or buy something or mm. do something, right? Or try to achieve something or get something, whatever it is, ask myself for what reasons, right? Um, yeah. And I'm often really surprised. So. Well, first of all, thank you for that breakdown. That's, that's amazing. I know the, the listeners are going to get a ton out of that. There's so much to say there, and I don't even know where to start. But you know, I'll, I'll say this for me personally. When I started to understand what this was, I started to reevaluate everything that I was doing, how I was. And there's what, what for what I to understand is that there's no way we're going to stop being in this like uh, metaphysical mimetic state where we're going to always think about that because it's, it's who we are. We're tribal, we're human, like yeah. there's no way. Right. And I, I love one thing that I love that you said there was the contrarian is still part of a herd is still part of a group. And I always refer that um, uh, to things is that if you label yourself in any way, you're already succumbing to oh. uh, a herd mentality of some sort, right? Yeah. Um, and I think this is why labeling yourself or putting yourself in a box or labeling others or generalizing can be dangerous, especially if you take it to the personal level that if you mm. label yourself, I am this way, you are already kind of boxing yourself in instead of being able to be adaptive. That's, and a, yeah. that's, a, really, that's a really good point. Uh, yeah. I had not thought about how how dangerous labels could become because then you're doing everything you're doing everything to affirm that label, which is, which is a metaphysical desire. What does it say about me? Does it, does it, is it congruent with what I've labeled myself as? Yeah. But it's also tough, right? Let's just play like, like let's play the, sure. the devil's advocate here. We, we both are operators. And so we have to think ourselves as, as operators and, and fundraisers. And, you know, you and I, at least for me, I can't just dress up in like sandals and a whole a shirt with holes, which I don't have. But <laughs> you just like so you have to to play this because with what we do, we have to show that we have some respect for ourselves and for what we're doing. We take our job very seriously. But at the same time, when we really kind of look at it as as humans, what do we really actually need? Right? Yeah. Our society has been built on living up with the Joneses, and man, so it's like a complete, complete mindfuck. Yeah. That you can kind of you you can go on once you really understand the mimetic theory, but then also the things that I think about is like with what you said about social media. This is why propaganda is so powerful, right? You see it, you just see it burn in your images, and then just to take it another level deeper. So one thing that I like to always think about is this is this came very true for me and for others during. Uh, COVID times and during the Biden and Trump administration uh, or the elections is because a lot of people that were very angry about which side they were on, I don't think 
have taken a step back and understood that, hey, you might be a product of your environment. Now, there's a perfect quote that I love. I love this quote. It says that, and I'm I'm probably going to butcher it a little bit, but I'm paraphrasing, right? That environment is stronger than free will until your free will becomes stronger than environment, Hmm. right? So these people who have these biases or these uh, preconceived notions of, uh, racist, right? That was a big topic for when, when Trump was running and whatnot. It's like, did you pick that up from your parents? Did you pick that up from movies? Did you pick that up from your environment? Or do you, are you actually racist, right? And I'm using an extreme example, sure. just easy to portray. But I bet if most people actually kind of went back and relayered it and said, oh man, if I came back from childhood, maybe I wasn't I, I like everybody. I love everybody because we naturally do. But then it becomes a pattern we've reinforced at some point, mm. even though we picked it up in the metaphysical world, which is the mimetic theory, kind of just like talking like we are a product of the herd in every yeah. way, shape or form. I mean, imagine how hard it is to be a conservative in Silicon Valley or right. L.A. <laughs> um, or, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I know. <laughs> um, uh, but or or vice versa, right? Uh, you know, like uh, you know, imagine what it's like to be a uh, you know a, a you know a liberal person in. I'm trying to think of a really red place, uh, Utah, right? Yeah. Um. So, uh, so yeah, I think I think that's crazy. But also, like, how about kids? Right? How hard? How hard is it for kids when the entire school is doing something to not get sucked up into that? Um, whatever it is. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, man, I just, I just realized why, like, you know, like why more so than even just the quality of education, why it's so important to like choose a great school to send your kids. Oh yeah. Right. Because that it's the environment more than anything. It's hundred percent. You know that there's a beautiful stat and a lot of studies on this is that you 90% of your personality for your life is developed by the age of seven. Right. I think that's when the alpha brain part of your brain turns off and, are you serious? Yeah, hundred percent. Oh, oh yeah, ninety percent is so much more pressure on me. Yeah, the father. Don't, don't, don't fuck it up. Jeez. Um, actually, there's a, the fascinating thing. My wife was telling me about it. There's a book called uh, "The Brain That Changes Itself," I believe, and she was telling me that there's okay. a study that at age seven we actually turn off this. I believe it's the alpha part of our brain because we can absorb so much information in that it becomes overstimulating. So it actually has to be turned off by age seven. Then that's your prime learning years is up to seven. And then another cool tidbit about this is in mice, they've been re- able to reactivate that part of the brain and our learning gets, or the, the learning in mice exponentially grows. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, but back to, to reverse to the point is that we are so susceptible as children to just adopt what is around us. And this is why environment is so incredibly important. For example, I'm in the Philippines. There's a lot of parts of the Philippines where the lifestyle is, you know, uh, really poor. The food is really poor. But then you start to question, like, that's the culture. That's what they know. They don't, they're not like um, part of like, in America where everything's different. So you just grow into what your environment. And this is why I love this quote so much because you're so susceptible to what your environment is. And if you are coming from an area, this is why I love low-income housing, this is why I have a passion for it, it's so hard to get out of that because what is the constant barrage of information that's coming your way? It's totally. It's like environment's propaganda. Until yeah. you go into yourself and you grow the emotional intelligence, EQ, which I think is a really important topic to talk about here, to get yourself out of it, to understand what your true desires are. And yeah. then to start actively working against it while others will probably tear you down a little bit as yeah. you're trying to progress. Yeah. No, you're totally right. Um, uh, think about how much harder it is uh, to get out of a situation, uh, to get out of a situation when the entire tribe around you, um, you know, we all have our own little mini tribes. Um, and I think that's like an easy hack, right? And that's why the hack works of like surround yourself with better people, yeah. right? Get, you know, surround yourself with better people and you will see massive gains. And, you know, I, I, I think you're right. I, I, you said earlier, right? We cannot, we're never going to totally escape it, right? But, you know, can we hack it, right? Yeah. And we can, you know, I think, I think, you know, pay incredibly close attention to, 
uh, you know, to, to your environment. Think, you know, we should all be thinking a lot about the things we're buying. Like, will this bring me physical, you know, is this a physical desire that will bring me lasting? Uh, and I think it could be this lecture that we're talking about. It could be something else, but there's a difference between dopamine and serotonin, right? Physical desires bring your serotonin where metaphysical desires bring your dopamine hits, right? And serotonin is mm-hmm. much more long lasting. Anyways, I don't know if it's this lecture or something else, but I also, you know, I think you can think a lot about that. Um, I think thinking a lot about our kids, uh, you know, you touched on something and I don't want to, I don't want to go down a rabbit hole too much, but what do you think about, um, what do you think about once you, once you've tasted something, like it makes it that much easier to achieve it. Right. Um, so I have a, I have a friend, uh, uh, you know, I, once you, once you kind of know something's possible, once you've had the taste of something, it's very hard to, it's very hard to kind of like revert back. So I have a friend that Every time he wants something new, he always makes sure he gets like a taste of it. He gets a true experience of it because one, he feels like once he once he has that, like it'll be hard for him ever to you know to know life again without it and to mm. not know it is impossible, right? Um, and I think that has something to do with the environments as well that you're talking about, right? Is so many of those kids don't even know what's possible, right? Uh, or know yeah. like know that you can just start a business and it costs you $125 on Sunbiz in Florida uh, to start an LLC, right? And nothing to start a bank account. Um, like, like sometimes people just don't know it's possible, yeah. right? Um, and once they know it's possible and they break through that like third wall, um, it's really interesting. I think, um, yeah. Well, I think a lot well, about how, how to help the people in our communities as well. Um, so I think this yeah. is interesting. I want to stack on that. It's it's I I'm going to challenge and say that they do they 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 do know how to get that information, but the thing is, what is their environment? Let's say let's sure. say uh, their environment is is people who are are, are just so accustomed to the, the the poor public schooling system as a whole, right? Yeah, they're accustomed to just seeing their parents or a single mother or a single father just working. What's the conversations around? So. They're able to, and there's this thing called um, what's it called? It's uh, it's a bias, and I'm just trying to remember it. But there's there's a comparative bias, right? So everything we do, right? Like this is kind of like the source of the, any economy um, at all is that or economics is that we are consistently comparing ourselves to the others that we see around us. Yeah, okay? that's and there's and that's part of metamatic theory as well, right? Like that's the same, yeah. And so we can, it's kind of like what you're talking about with like having a close group of friends because you can see what they're doing, get inspired and and talk about it. But I would say that most people do know, but they just see that their environment is not doing that. And so then, well, well, I'm doing pretty good compared to all of my friends. I'm doing pretty good compared to what my parents did. I'm doing pretty good. Hmm. So it's all just comparative bias. And I'm just using that word now. I just kind of made it up. I'm pretty sure it's not that. But yeah, I I get what you're saying. And unless you are now going to say, hey, this is, I don't like this comparative bias anymore. I'm going to go and actually change my environment. It's so incredibly hard to get out because all of those people are going to be like, what are you doing? What are you seeing? It's like crab mentality. But man, I could go down the rabbit. I've thought about this subject about environments and how these sets of patterns sneak into your brain and your psyche uh, so much. And it's it's so difficult to get out of this um, like loop that you can put yourself into. Where do you see mimetic theory playing out most in your life? Like what, what are some areas that you're going to tackle or, you know, things you're going to think about in your business or your personal life that have at least in the first 24 or 48 hours have started to like, you know, change uh, or like have sunk in and you're like, oh my God, like that is me or this is yeah. something I'm doing. Um, I, I have two thoughts here. I became a grateful because I think because of my past, I've been able to develop a, hopefully, I don't want to say that I'm like a high EQ person, but this is something I always consistently challenge myself because I've lived my life so many years, not asking myself what I need and what I want in my life. So um, there is a lot of my life that I'm like, I'm just me. This is just who I am. And these are my actual desires because I journal Hmm. about it every single day. I really, I do. I also, like I was telling Jessica about, 
the mimetic theory. And I just said, we do so many ceremonies. Like I've done ayahuasca, you know, over 20 times and psilocybin ceremonies. And you are literally bombarded with subconscious information. So you cannot know what you genuinely want at a core level. Sure. Um, but there are some things that I revert back to in my past, like um, my watches. I bought so many watches uh, years ago. Like I just... But because of what I want other people to think of me, when I first started making money, I wanted people to know that, hey, like I, I, and I, my watch collection is because of that. And now I only wear one or two. I love watches. I, I actually have always enjoy them. I challenge, do I want this house that I want to build in LA for my wife and I? Do we need actually the extra space? Is it something that yeah. I'm going to need? You know, there's, there's certain things like, do I really need that first class seat? I think, um, just really applying it. I haven't had the the chance to really kind of do um, a Rolodex in my life of it. But what I, where I do see it play out is now when I'm starting to look at groups, I see one person's went over to this person and just because all their friends are there and I wonder what they're talking about and they're all... And I just see like the metaphysical, oh, they're all oh, forming into one entity. Man. And so that I think is going to be the bigger, uh, lack of better words, mindfuck for me. Of yeah. when I'm in a group to be like, how can I shift this mentality into being an outlier? How can yeah. I, what do I really want? And especially, especially with business, how can I set myself differently? I see that everyone's doing this, but what feels true to me? Um, and there are some things that I've, I've thought about. I'm, I'm not going to get into. Yeah, I'm yeah, just going to apply. Uh, so it's, it's about me tr remembering to remove myself. And say, hey, what do I actually want? And try to be not a contrarian, but think for myself, especially when I'm in a group. And be the yeah. one. Sorry, I'm going a little on tangent. And to be the one that sometimes um, goes out on a limb, right? For example, we all yeah. understand what happened with uh, the, the person in GoBundance who got indicted for all those charges, right? Yeah, yeah like, it's crazy. Again, I, I reflect back to that. That was her mentality. Why didn't I speak up when I knew something was wrong? Why didn't others speak up when they knew something was wrong? Because we don't want to go against the herd. I was like, oh, it's you not know, my place. I don't know him. What if I'm wrong? I don't want to yeah. be labeled as this thing. But then again, I always try to protect people. But why didn't I? And so yeah. there's these things that are all just kind of floating around my mind about this. Yeah. And, and I, think, I think you said it well, right? Like the goal is not to be a contrarian. The goal is to be independently minded and to make good decisions based on physical reasons. And I think this comes down to this. This also comes with investing decisions, right? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't know if you've seen it and you're in, in the mole home park space, but in the multifamily space, right? Everyone is convinced that a crash is coming. And so like every, as everyone says like, no, you know, cash is king, holding the cash, you know, it's 2009 all over again, everyone pulling back from the market, et cetera. Um, you know, are they all, do, are they doing that because of the fundamentals or are they doing that because of, you know, are they doing that because of the herd? Right. And you yeah. don't want to, you don't want to be the one, right. Like, uh, you know, as a GP, as a sponsor, right. You don't want to be seen as the one irresponsible guy that, you know, everyone else is holding back. Why are you right. going forward, et cetera. Right. Um, uh, but you know, for us, right. Like I, I think they're, you know, when I, when I look at that, um, you know, and I, and I've heard that from a couple, you know, from a couple competitors who feel that, um, you know, uh, who, who feel that way that they would be buying because they understand the fundamentals and with the right deal with low debt and long-term debt with no, you know, no maturity walls in a good growing market and good area underwritten for, you know, some falling rents and higher cap rates, higher interest rates. If it's still a good deal, it's still a good deal, but they, but they, because of the, the pressures, they feel like what other people will think of them um, aren't pulling the trigger. Uh, yeah. And so, so you can apply it in your business. Um, you can apply it in marketing. I think people are attracted to people who are independent, independently minded. And I think yeah. that's what contrarians get wrong um, is they want to be contrarian because of what it says about them. They don't want to be contrarian because they have in, you know, they don't want to be, they don't want to have just independent thoughts that sometimes go with the crowd, sometimes don't go with the crowd. They want to be known as a contrarian. And I think 
I think that will also get them into just as much trouble as following the crowd. Um, so I think the goal is to be able to think clearly and independently. And sometimes that will mean you're with the crowd, but sometimes it'll mean that you're against it. Um, and you're right. Uh, I think being able to have the courage um, to stand out. Uh, mm. These are like basic life lessons that, you know, we kind of learn. I think you learn as a young kid and you, you, you kind of forget along the way. Um, so yeah, yeah I, I think, I think you put it well. I think the beautiful thing about mimetic theory is that it's not, at least in my opinion, it's not uh, for you. If you're interested in researching this, it's not for you to change your whole life, but it no. is something to be completely aware of. Because once you understand our human behaviors, you can start to then start asking more powerful questions. I think the medic theory asks at a fundamental level, a very important question. Am I following the crowd or am I thinking independently? And when you're thinking independently and making decisions off of these quality questions, you become more connected with yourself and more um, in touch with what you actually desire, which will make ultimately you happier and everybody else around you happier as well. Yeah. And you'll, you'll see it play out so much in, in groups. Um, so I think you had some good examples and, and you see it in groups more than anything. I'm sure if you think back to your poker days, all your poker friends, right. They're probably reading the same books, doing the same things. What, you know, somebody, yeah. So, well, let's, um, let's, let's unpack that a little, just a tiny bit too, even in our investor world, right? Like with what you said, I mean, Yes, we always we we both know that we're both educated. We understand what the signs are, what how to prepare for the future. But you start to see that I think, especially with mimetic theory, if if everyone's reading articles, they want to be viewed as as knowledgeable. So because I know I understand the power of propaganda and I understand the sizzle headlines hmm. that these uh, news outlets do, and they need viewership that. Time and time again, people are, well, we're reading, we're trying to adopt, but then they're just kind of taking the mentality of like, oh, I read all of these articles. Oh, I, these are what people are talking about. And they don't have an independent thought process on it, right? Yeah. And so it's, it's quite difficult at times to decipher through all the information that's being barraged your way. And yeah. you need to be independent, but you also need to protect yourself on the downside for sure. This is why you know, just to know why we're both incredibly much more conservative now than I would say we were a year ago because of the headwinds that are coming. But at the end of the day, like a deal's a deal. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. So, um, yeah, I, I, uh, I don't know. Anyways, for, for, for 2022, it's been a huge <laughs> one. Um, we, uh, Jonathan B has some awesome yeah. lectures on, I think it's on Spotify, iTunes. Um, there's also a book called wanting, um, that is a really great breakdown. Gerard is really hard to read raw. Um, so this is all from a philosopher named Rene Gerard. He's taught at Stanford. Uh, he was Peter Thiel's, um, uh, Peter Thiel's mentor. That's actually why Peter Thiel is one of his favorite interview questions. And like the famous Thiel question is what massively, what, what belief do you hold? I think it's something to the degree of like, what belief do you hold that is, massively unpopular or not supported by anyone you know right so Mm. um and it's the ability and and he values that in both founders entrepreneurs investors it's a crucial question uh that he asks and he really really pays attention to and heavily weights towards is do they have the ability to independently think in the face and, and 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 i think somebody gave a good example of of like, oh, you know, if they answer something like, well, you know, I, I don't believe in God, right? It's like, oh, supposedly that's a, uh, you know, non-mainstream belief. But actually, if you're in, you know, if you're in like certain parts of the United States, it's actually an incredibly popular belief, yeah. right, uh, nowadays. Um, and so he, he'll, he'll really push you to like, do you, do you really have any, not just contrarian, do you really have anything that is independently minded that very few people believe and is incredibly unpopular? So, um, yeah. So thank you guys, everyone for tuning in and kind of listening to our year end recap things we're thinking about, um, you know, and, uh, things that we've been learning this year. Uh, I do think we have room for one more, um, 
you know, another hour to talk about other things like this. So I bet we will record another episode in the next couple of days. Um, but hope everyone had a great holidays and uh, take care. Yeah. Bye guys. Thank you for joining us today. We think it's an absolute no-brainer that hitting subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app will help you on your journey to your next 10 million. 